Good morning. I love how everyone's all sat down. That's what we do, isn't it, after the worship. Worship's over, ready for the talk, so we're all going to sit down. So I'm going to really spoil your morning by saying, can we stand up? I know you've been on your feet for half an hour, but you all had an extra hour in bed. You should be full of vitality. If you can, if you absolutely can't, that's fine. But if you can, stand up. Because I'd like to do a little bit of congregational participation to start off with. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, it doesn't involve aerobics, Mike, you're all right. I'm going to ask you a question, all right? I just want you to think of the answer. The question is, where do you come from? All right, now I'm talking about geography, not biology, all right? Where do you come from? Okay, so some of you will probably, I'm guessing, have thought, I'm from Hales Owen. Yeah? Maybe not. If, if you have, if you think, yeah, I'm from Hales Owen, could you sit down? Yeah, one or two. Did anyone think I'm from Starbridge? Birmingham? Yeah, losing one or two now. Yeah. Did anyone think a bit further afield and thought, I'm from Britain, I'm British? England? Scotland? Wales? Okay, we've still got some people standing. I think it'd be very interesting, don't you, to find out (laughs) where these people... No, 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 come on. All right, we're going to find out, learn a bit this morning. So, Nelson, where are you from? I'm from Nigeria. Nigeria. Welcome, Nelson. Would you like to take your seat if you're from Nigeria? <laughs> okay, James, where are you from? The US. The US. Can you be a bit more specific? South Carolina. South Carolina. Anyone else from South Carolina? Would you like to take your seats if you're from there? Okay, let's go for one more person. Let's go over this way. This is interesting, isn't it, finding out where people are from? I'm going to ask Fitz here, where are you from? Oh, no. (laughs) Two parents. Oh, two parents. I said geography, not biology. (laughs) Never mind. Okay, would you like to take your seat? (laughs) Yeah, I I suspected that could have gone wrong. (laughs) That's fine. So we're all from somewhere, aren't we? Some, Some, you know... Sounds a bit more exciting than other places, but we're all from somewhere. And part of where we're from will affect your identity, won't it? There's things about who you are and the way you behave and what you do that are linked to where you're from. You could go and speak to someone and immediately you'll know they're Welsh or they're Scottish or they're from Liverpool or, or whatever. And you, you'll know where they're from by the way that they speak because they've got an accent. Obviously, if you're from here, you don't have an accent. Only <laughs> Okay, and if you're British this morning, obviously not everyone is, as we've, we've learned, but if you're British, there will be some things that you'll be kind of known for. Queuing. We're, we're supposed to be good at queuing, aren't we? We have a sense of the queue and how the queue works. And I don't know if you've ever been in Asda at the self-scanny, bippy thing. Have you ever been there and someone hasn't seen the queue? And it's just gone straight for the bippy thing. And you can feel the tension. The people in the queue, it's like, is someone going to tell them? There's a queue. Here's the queue. You know, take your stuff off the bippy thing and go and join the back of the queue. We're British and we know what we're doing. We all 
also can talk endlessly about the weather, can't we? We have a lot of it and we can always make a decent conversation about the weather. And about once every six months, should we put the clocks back or not, is also another good British topic of conversation. And whatever happens, anything else in life, it can all be sorted out with the drinking of a good strong cup of tea. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 to 10 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So we're all from somewhere. We've all got our own sense of national identity. might be stronger in others than, than some people. But that verse says, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And I've been thinking a lot over the summer about the kingdom of God. We talk a lot in this church about extending God's kingdom footprint. And I've been thinking, what, what, does, what does it mean to be part of the kingdom of God? What are some of the things that should characterize my identity? Not because I'm British, but because I am a member of the kingdom of God. Because then this is going to, it doesn't matter whether you're from Britain or Nigeria or the US or, or wherever else, or even two parents. You can still, you know, be part of this. What's going to characterise my life? And if you actually read Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, he talks about the kingdom of God all the time. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. Interchangeable terms, it doesn't matter which kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. It's like this. If you're like this, you will inherit the kingdom of God. If you come to me as a little child, you will inherit the kingdom of God. It's kingdom, kingdom, kingdom all the time. And in the Lord's Prayer, before, before I talk about the things that I think should characterise us as members of the kingdom of God, and I have to say, you could talk for weeks about this, and I want my dinner, so I'm not going to talk for weeks about it. I've just picked three things that I think should characterise us and that I think are actually um, pertinent to us as this church at this moment. But before I get on to that, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And in Matthew 28, that I'm going to come back to later, it says, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the kingdom of God has got this heavenly dimension and it's got an earthly dimension. And I want to try and illustrate this this morning using a communion cup, which hopefully you all have. If you have a communion cup, please take it now. This illustration has nothing to do with communion, so if you can forget it's a communion cup, all right? It's a little glass thing, plastic glass thing. What I want you to imagine is that this little cup represents the kingdom of God on earth, okay? So you as a Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, as part of the kingdom of God, your life takes place within that little cup, And not just you, because obviously there's a hundred or so other people in here this morning, and their lives also, as part of the kingdom of God, take place in this cup. 
But it's bigger than that because obviously we're not the only members of the kingdom of God on planet Earth this morning. There are thousands and thousands and who knows how many other people. And their lives also are contained within this little cup. But it's even bigger than that because the kingdom of God isn't just something that exists today on the 30th of October 2011. It's got history. It's got years and years of history. So every Christian, every member of the kingdom of God who's ever lived, their life also is contained in this tiny little cup. All right? This is the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God on earth. Now I want you to look at the space all the way around it. So I want you to look up. Imagine the ceiling isn't here. Imagine you can see the sky and the clouds. Then I want you to look down. Imagine the floor's not here. Good job it is. You know? Look this way. If you keep going that way, you kind of go through the back of the building and then you head over towards Dudley direction and then beyond. If you go this way, you're heading into the town centre. This way, you'll be going towards Birmingham, going east, I think. I've got to get this right, haven't I? Going towards Birmingham, beyond East Anglia, North Sea, Europe. Yeah, you're getting the picture. The space around your little cup is huge. The space around your little cup is actually infinite. So the kingdom of God on earth is in here. But I want you to try and grasp a little idea of what God sees when he looks at his kingdom. He doesn't just see this. He sees, yeah, the whole big thing. But you could find yourself thinking, well, okay then, if this is so small, And God's kingdom is so big. Why would God be so interested in my life in this little tiny cup? But we've just sung it, haven't we? He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. And I just need to remind you that Jesus, who is God, came and also put his life inside this little cup. And he lived and he died because he loves us so much, which is just amazing. When you think the expanse of what God can see, that he would come and live confine himself to something so small because of how much he loves us. It's amazing, isn't it? The other thing about this cup, if you could just sort of have a look through it, you'll see that you can see through it, but it's all a bit blurry. In fact, if you look through it and find everything looks clear, you need to go to the opticians because there is something wrong with your eyesight. So it's all a bit blurry if you look through. And it's when we're living here on earth, we can see glimpses of the kingdom of heaven. But it's as if, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see like a dim reflection in a mirror, but one day we'll see clearly. So as we're looking, we can see, yeah, we can see glimpses. We can see a bit of a bigger sense of that there's something out there. There's a bigger kingdom, but we can't see it clearly because we can see a dim reflection. And I wanted to start with that analogy because very, very often life doesn't go the way we think it should. And we don't understand and we don't know what's going on. And if we forget that our lives are part of such a huge big picture, we can start to lose hope and we can start to lose faith. So the three things then that I've decided to talk about this morning. First thing um, is the word foreigners. If you go back to the verse already in 1 Peter, it said, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Have you ever been somewhere where you felt foreign? sure you have. I remember a long time ago going onto a beach in France 
And you know when you get on a beach, you've got all this stuff you're carrying, and you get on the beach and you just kind of plonk it down, and then you look for somewhere to set up camp. Well, we must have plonked our stuff down somewhere where this Frenchman thought was his patch that he'd got. So he came up to me and said something I couldn't repeat, not because it was rude, because I haven't got a clue what he's saying. But he was going, in French, and I'm thinking, I feel a bit foreign. You know, I've not got a clue what you're saying. And in the end, we just picked the stuff up and moved. But I felt a sense of, I don't really belong here. I feel really foreign here. And the verse that I read just sort of says, if we're part of the kingdom of God, we're foreigners and exiles in the world that we live in. And a generation or so ago, the church did foreign really well. But people tended to think, well, if you're a Christian, you know, you don't want to be part of the world because that's all dark and quite nasty. And, you know, we don't want to engage with our culture very much. And actually, we've been called to be separate and we're going to live separately. And so Christians often would never go to the pictures or to the pub or anything like that. And would try and kind of keep a bit of a distance because they believed that they were called to be separate. The problem with that is, of course, we're also called to be salt and light. And if you put salt on your dinner, if you still do that after all the health scares, you don't just tip a little bit of salt in the corner and accept your chips to kind of go on a little walk over, dip themselves in the salt and come back. It would be ridiculous. We spread it out. And we're called to be salt and light. We're called to spread ourselves out. We're called to mix and to mingle in the culture that we're in, even though we're foreigners in it. So change came and we've kind of gone the other way now and uh, actually we do mix and mingle with our culture and that's a good thing. But sometimes that goes the other way and we can feel so at home in our culture and so much like we blend in and we fit in that we lose our Christian distinctiveness. And we live with this tension and it's a healthy tension and it is a tension that we should be living with between being so heavenly minded that we're no earthly use or being so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly use. And so my first sort of little challenge to you this morning is, do you feel like you're a foreigner in your culture? And if you say, yes, I feel foreign all the time, it all feels really quite foreign to me, I feel like I don't belong, and it's all quite dark and horrible, I'd like to suggest maybe you're a little bit too detached Maybe you're a little bit too disengaged. Maybe you're keeping yourself away and waiting for Jesus to kind of come and and rescue you. Equally, if you feel, you know, actually I feel right at home in my culture. Maybe you need to have a little look and let God challenge you. You know, should you be watching that, looking at that, listening to that, going there, going here? And just sort of, you know, it's a tension and it is a good healthy tension, but it's a tension that we need to deal with so that we don't allow our thinking and our actions to be really shaped by the world, but by the word of God. We do need to be foreigners in our culture and it's difficult to live as a foreigner in a a different culture. We've kind of seen a picture of that with the thing that's happened with Dale Farm and the evictions, if you've seen that on the telly. You know, whatever you think are the rights or wrongs of that, it's an example of a group of people who are trying to live in a different culture within a bigger culture and finding it almost impossible to do so. So what other things should characterise our lives as members of the kingdom of God? My second point was going to be faithfulness. 
But that would have given me two Fs, which gave me unnecessary pressure when it came to point three. So we're not going for faithfulness. We're going for endurance. Oh, we love that word, endurance. Isn't that a great word, endurance? Jesus says in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me just say those words again. In this world you will have trouble, oh dear. It doesn't say you may have trouble or take heart when you have trouble. I will come and I will zap you out of your troubled situation and put you somewhere else. It says you'll have trouble. And you don't need endurance when the sun's shining down on you and the world's all as it should be, do you? You only need endurance when things are difficult, when you're found in the desert place, when you walk through the wilderness. And some people, some Christians I've come across over the years, when they're faced with trials and difficulties, they really believe that actually they shouldn't be because they're a Christian and their life should be good and positive and victorious all the time. And I've actually met Christians who've been snivelling with a really bad cold into their Kleenex and all over everybody. But they won't say, I've got a cold, because they feel that's a negative statement and they won't say anything negative. So they're snivelling away to their Kleenex going, I have the symptoms of a cold You go, no, you don't, you have a cold, just admit it, Christians do get colds. And it almost becomes a superstitious kind of thing. And yes, in one sense, they're right, because psychologically, it's not good all the time to be saying negative things about yourself. That's not good for you psychologically, but we do have to have a sense of reality. We have to be real. Christians do get colds and the flu. They do get bereaved. Children do go off the rails whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. I remember a while ago, I had someone on Facebook who wasn't anyone from this church, just want to make that point before I start. And they seemed to live a life that was constantly happy and joyful and God was blessing them. Every comment they put on, every tweet they tweeted was full of absolute abundant, lively, you know, blessing of God. Fabulous. But after a while, I'm thinking, are you for real? You know, I'm not saying that you should tweet every bad stuff that happens to you all the time and put that all out on the internet. We have to be careful what we put out there. But it's like, does your car never break down? Have you never had a flat tyre? Does your child never wake up in the night and puke all over the bedclothes? Do you never have a bad day? And it seemed like they didn't. And the problem with it was, the more I read it, I began in my mind to have thoughts like, hang on a minute, why does God bless them like that? Why does God not ever allow them to go through anything? You know, And then you start to think, maybe God doesn't love me as much as he loves them. Or maybe I haven't quite got it right. Maybe my Christian life isn't just quite as good as theirs because God's not kind of giving me this amazing blessed life that he's given them. And it started to give me a really negative down. And I began, in the end, I thought, you know what? You are not helping me to endure. I need some people to be real who can help me to endure. So I deleted them. Because <laughs> you can do that with Facebook, can't you? <laughs> it's great. Yeah, you're annoying me. Go away, delete. And they're gone. 
And like I say, it wasn't any of you, so that's fine. But we need, we need to help one another to endure. And helping one another to endure means we do have to be real with one another. And the great thing is, you know, we've, got, we've all got Bibles. We've got the Word of God. And this is story. It's full of stories of people who had trouble and who had to endure through difficult situations. Have you ever read the story of Job? You know, if you've ever read the story of Job, my goodness, his wife said to him, Job, just curse God and die because it can't possibly get worse than this. You know, his story was really bad. And Elijah in the cave when he'd been chased and he feels like he's the only one left and he's all on his own. And sometimes as a Christian, living life in the kingdom of God, it's okay to not be okay. And when Lee leads worship, he quite often reads from the Psalms, which is really great. But here's some Psalms that I think Lee may never use in worship. Psalm 6 verse 3. I'm sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you rescue me? Psalm 10, verse 1. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I need you most? Psalm 13, verse 1 to 2. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and with sorrow in my heart every day? I'm not going to go on because I don't want us all to leave this morning feeling like we're going to throw ourselves down the stairs. But I'm just trying to make the point, you know, God's shoulders are big enough. His heart is big enough. He is strong enough. His hand is wide enough to contain your life with all the good bits and the bad bits. I need to sort of slightly apologise for the next illustration. As anyone who knows me will know that I do quite a bit of running. And this is a running illustration. So if I'm a running bore, I'm really sorry, but here we go. Um, It's actually just back a week ago that um, I took part in the Great Birmingham Run, which was a half marathon, um, 13.1 miles. And some people sometimes say, how do you do that? And let me just say, you know, I train for it. It's not a superhuman feat or anything. I don't want to big it up. You train for it and then you do it. And so I ran for the first seven or eight miles and it was fine. And it felt okay. I was doing kind of personal best time and everything was great. And then got to about mile eight to nine and we just turned into Cannon Hill Park. And I started to feel like I really should have had a bit more breakfast because I was feeling a bit hungry and a bit tired. And, you know, and then there was a station in the park where they were giving out bottles of water and bottles of Powerade, sort of sweet, sugary, rehydrate yourself quickly stuff. And um, I took a bottle of water and a bottle of this Powerade and carried on running and taking drinks from it. From it, And it really did, you know, get me going again and it perked me up. And so I got to 10 miles feeling, again, not too bad. And then at 10 miles, we turned a direction and we were faced with a hill, quite a steep hill. Actually turned into quite a long hill. It was two and a half miles long. Not uphill all the way, twisted and turned, but generally speaking, two and a half miles of up. Now, any of you who don't run will still be able to get that after running 10 miles, the last thing you want to do is run up for two and a half. It was a nightmare. I was tired, my feet hurt. I'm not expecting sympathy because I appreciate it was all self-inflicted. But, you know, it, I was just worn out and tired and I'd had enough and... Then halfway up the hill, I saw a signpost. Because what happens in these runs, there will be some people who won't make it to the end. 
either because they pick up an injury or they just realise they hadn't trained hard enough or it's just bigger than, you know, a bit off more they could chew. And there were one or two people lying on the side of the road with St John's Ambulance, I have to say, at that point. And the sign halfway up the hill said this, bus to the finish line. (laughs) And basically, if you just feel like you've got to point, I just cannot finish, I'm going to keel over, you can just stay, wait there, and someone will take you by bus, I assume, or something, um, back to the finish I have to say, no matter how awful I felt at that point, there was nothing inside me that wanted to take the bus to the finish. Some of you may think, that's mad. But it's the truth, because I'd put in all the training. I'd already run 10 miles. I'd already put in all that effort. And I knew that there were three things waiting at the end. I knew there was a finishing line. And it's really nice to run over a finishing line and go, yeah, I'm not good. And there was a prize, you know, there was a medal thing, although I have to say they gave you a goodie bag and the first thing I saw when I opened the goodie bag was a block of Cadbury's chocolate. <laughs> Forget the medal, <laughs> the chocolate was enough. So there was, a, there was a finishing line, there was a prize and I have to say there was also a husband waiting for me at the end. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> And I know the analogy breaks down a bit because the point was I knew that the finishing line came at 13.1 miles, which was outside the symphony hall. I knew that when I got there, I wasn't going to suddenly realise someone had moved it down by the cathedral. There would have been trouble, you know. And in our lives, as we endure, we don't know where the finishing line is. We don't know whether we've got to endure this situation for another six months or 12 months or even, you know, until the end of your life. You don't know that. And, and so it's difficult, but there is, at the end, there is a prize. There is a finishing post. And the Bible calls us the body of Christ. He calls us his bride. So in one sense, there's also a husband waiting as well at the end. How amazing is that? At the end, you are going to have a finishing line, and you're going to have a prize, and you're going to have a husband waiting for you. So we're called to be foreigners in this culture and the world that we live in and we're called to endure and I want to just think about Jesus's final words on earth which is Matthew 28 verse 18 and 19 and Jesus says this Jesus came to them that's his disciples and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations So here's Jesus, he's putting himself out there, he says, I am the king of the kingdom. All authority in heaven and on earth, remember the little cup thing, all authority in there and out there has been given to me. I am the king of the kingdom. Therefore, in the light of all of this, in the light of everything, go and make disciples of all nations. And God wants you this morning to be a disciple maker for your part of the kingdom of God. This is the third thing, to be a disciple maker. This is the purpose of the church. This is the purpose of our church. If any of you come here to Zion and you think, well, what's Zion here for? This is fundamentally our purpose. That's what, you know, you can go on the journey course for three weeks, but that's kind of, no, I'm joking. Do you ever wonder what is God's will for me? That's it, really. Play your part and go and make disciples. Do I have to go abroad? Well, not necessarily. You may do. 
But you already live in a nation, don't you? You're already all from somewhere. We've already thought about that this morning. It's about taking what you are passionate about, finding out what gifts God has uniquely given to you, and he will have given you some, putting it all together and doing something with it. How would life be if every every time we had a decision to make, big proper decisions I mean, if one of the questions we asked were, how will this help make disciples? How will this help extend God's kingdom footprint? We might say, I'm not an evangelist, I haven't got the gift, I'm shy, I can't, no one would listen. But you can, because you do have some gifts. You may be an evangelist. Evangelism may not be your gift, but you will have gifts. God will have given you gifts. If you don't know what they are, you know, come and talk to us. Let us help you to discover what, God, what gifts God has given to you that you can use in his kingdom. Because the thing is, this, this message about making disciples, it's not just to you on your own. You haven't personally been given the task of going and making disciples of all nations. You just couldn't possibly do it. But it's everybody in there, isn't it? Everybody whose lives are contained in there together as the church working together and you need to pay your part. What about, but I don't really want to. I've only got one life to live and I want to get the best out of it. A couple of generations ago, there was a sense in which people had a feeling about like the being an afterlife and the being a God, even if they weren't Christians, they didn't believe in him. There was a sense, I think, that people tended to have the idea that this life on earth wasn't all that there was. And I think that that has gone largely, not totally in our, in our culture, but largely it's gone. And people tend to think, my life is, this is all I have, you know? I have my 75 years or whatever is the average, and that's it. So I'm going to make my life be as good and as perfect and as full of potential and excitement as I possibly can because this is all I have. And so if you brought up, particularly in in the Western world or in in Britain, you know, you you have an expectation that you'll, you'll grow up, you'll get an education, you'll perhaps meet somebody, you may get married, you might have 2.4 children, you know. If you get sick, you will go to hospital and the NHS will make you better and you will be okay again. And life will go on and as you go through your life, you'll become more prosperous, more well-off, you'll be able to have better holidays, nicer car, what have you. You'll get to 65 or 68 or 72 and you'll retire. You're not quite sure now, are we? And eventually, at sort of mid-80s somewhere, you'll die and that'll be it. And that is the world's view of this is my life and this is what I have. And because the world sees their lives so contained with no sense that there's anything beyond, they will be putting in all their effort and all their time and resources in making that as good as it can be. Some people have bucket lists, don't they? It's like a list of this is all the things I'm going to do, all the things I'm going to cram in before I die, all the experiences that I'm going to have. And there's nothing wrong with any of that in one sense. But as Christians, it's easy then to get into the mindset of thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, let's hedge my bets a bit. You know, I want the God thing because when I die, if there is an afterlife and all that, I want to make sure that that's okay and that I can do that. But equally, I want to make my life as good as it is now. And when you see God's perspective that we talked about, 
that's a really, it's a worldview that we've got to guard against creeping into our view. Do you see what I mean? We've got to allow ourselves to realize that we, you know, our lives are eternal. The kingdom of God is eternal. And life on earth may not be everything that you personally had hoped that it would be. But if we put Jesus as the Lord of our lives and live under that, then our lives will be everything that God wants them to be. And there's a verse that I've just lost on my piece of paper. Yeah, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives with me. So we need to take Christ out into your workplace, into your sh- into shops where you go. You need to take Christ out and show him to your friends and to your neighbours. Because I do believe in heaven and in the light of eternity, our lives on earth are short. Treasures of earth fade and corrupt and cannot be relied on. You cannot guarantee you will be healthy till you get to 85. You cannot guarantee that. You can't guarantee your children's lives. You can't guarantee your finances. None of that can be guaranteed. And living life with God does not inoculate you from trouble, but neither does living without him. Living without him means still having the trouble, but dealing with it on your own. And being a disciple maker means every day taking your God-given gifts and using them in a way that seeks an increase in his kingdom. And just as I kind of just want to wrap this up and Lee's going to come back and um, we're going to sing. I just want to really pray for you this morning, if that's all right. And the three things that I've just sort of challenged you with, really. First of all, the thing about being a foreigner. Are you too comfortable with your culture? Or are you too divorced from it? Maybe there's people this morning who you feel like, actually, I really need to endure. I'm at the point of giving up hope. I can't see the finish line anymore. I need to endure. And then I want to pray for us all because we all need to be disciple makers. So let's just close our eyes for a moment. And let's just think about this thing about foreigners. And if that has kind of resonated with you this morning, if maybe you feel like, actually, I've got too comfortable in our culture, or if you feel I'm not near enough, I'd like you to just hold up your little cup. And we've all got our eyes closed. I've got my eyes closed as well. I'm not about looking to see what kind of response there is to what I've said or anything. This is between you and God. But God, I just want to pray, if there's anyone here this morning who just feels that they've locked themselves away from their culture, that they're kind of hanging on in there and keeping away. God, I just pray that once again you'll show them that they need to be salt and light in the place that you've placed them. God, I just pray that you will put people across their paths who need to know you and who need to see the light of Jesus Christ shining from them. And God, also, I just want to pray, if there's anybody here who feels like actually they've become so comfortable in their culture, they've so settled in their culture, that they've lost their Christian distinctiveness. I just pray, God, that you will challenge them this morning, that they will see maybe that there's places that they go that they shouldn't or things that they look at that they shouldn't. And God, I just pray that you will put people alongside them who can help them with those things. But God, I just pray that we will whilst living out full-blown Christian lives within our culture, God, that we will not be conformed to it, 
that you will renew our minds. And if you today really need help with endurance, I'd like you to hold your cup up as I just want to pray for you. God, I just want to pray for people who just need help because they need to endure. God, we don't need to endure in one sense when everything's going well. So there's a sense that if we need endurance, God, that we're facing trouble. And God, you told us that we would face trouble, but it's hard. Suffering is difficult. So God, I just pray for each one who's holding up their cup now, that God, that you will really give them a sense of your presence, joining them on their journey at this time. God, that you will give them your peace, that you will give them an unbelievable joy in the Holy Spirit as they walk in this path. God, I just pray that they will have a sense of your presence. They will sense your hand holding theirs as they walk on this road. And God, I just pray you will give them hope. God, you will remind them that there is a finishing line coming. God, I just pray that you remind them that there is a prize to be had. And God, I pray you'll remind them that there is a husband waiting for them, that they are his bride and he is waiting for them. And God, I just pray that we'll be strong on the inside, that we will be able to endure whatever life throws at us to reach that finishing line. I pray that God, no one in our church will be bailing out and getting on the bus back home, but that we will endure and that we will stick at it, God. And the final thing, I would like us all to stand because we're all called to be disciple makers if you're part of the kingdom of God this morning. And we're just going to sing some songs that kind of focus on just giving out everything to him again. Our focus on Jesus being the Lord. You know, you've been crucified with Christ. It isn't your life anymore. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you have to walk in his way. So God, I just pray this morning that you will help each one of us to just give our lives back to you afresh, that we will make you the Lord of our lives this morning, that we will walk in your ways, God, that we will see things through the eyes of Christ, that our hands will do the work of Christ, that our feet will walk in the places that you want us to walk this morning. God, I just pray that we will just give ourselves again to you. You will be Lord and that God, we will use our gifts and our talents and our passions and our desires to see many, many more people made into disciples of you. God, I just pray we will see many people join this kingdom journey. God, I just pray there will be people in heaven who are there because we have helped them in some way along their journey to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. God, just help us this morning. God, I just pray you'll take what I've said and that what's from me will just get blown away but what's from your spirit will take root and will be planted in the hearts and minds of your church this morning God I just thank you for your love for us and we just want to give ourselves back to you today Amen